Hello, and welcome to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. Our conversations and stories feature Boilermaker students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. The concept of sustainable tourism has a whole new connotation today, as world tourism and its related industries work to re-emerge from the global coronavirus pandemic. In this segment, Jonathan Day, Associate Professor of Hospitality and Tourism Management, and some of his students talk about how tourism done right can help the environments, cultures, and economics of popular destinations. When done wrong, however, the opposite outcome can result. Day says individual tourists as well as public policymakers all play a role in sustainable tourism. Back in the day, it was hard to imagine what unsustainable tourism might look like. But now we've got more and more examples. Whether you look at Barcelona or Venice, where they're just overwhelmed by the number of visitors that they're having. Tourist destinations can have a kind of life cycle. So when there are too many tourists to this destination, the resources in this destination can um, deteriorate really quickly. So sustainable tourism is all about how you can take tourism, which is a huge economic driver and social driver in the world, how you can take tourism and make it work for the people and the communities um, that are impacted by it. Because sustainable tourism sort of can impact so many different parts of the tourism system, we have students who are working in different elements of that. I'm particularly interested in uh, the preservation of cultural heritage. Heritage and culture uh, and its protection are very important parts of sustainability. They are very vulnerable to uh, the uh, negative effects of tourism, so which is why we need to ensure that we have the correct policies in place to ensure its protection for future generations. While studying heritage conservation, we saw that heritage is actually a catalyst for economic development, especially in the field of tourism. I study community-based tourism, and that is a form of tourism that is being operated by a community, usually in rural areas, uh, specifically uh, rural areas in Indonesia, for my research. I like the idea of starting small and using resources in the community as a way to bring visitors. I think identifying the resources that they have is really important and how they can use that to show their culture. And then once they've identified those things, then the tourism operation can be initiated. Sustainable tourism is about looking after people's economic well-being. It's about looking after their heritage and their culture. And it's also about looking after the environment so that we keep these three things working together for the benefit of the communities. This is what's called the triple bottom line and getting that balanced so that all of these things are working together. Perhaps we're not making as much money as we could, but we're balancing that with the idea of you know, a better community to live in and a nicer environment to experience. And that is what the challenge of sustainable tourism is. We've learned a lot about tourism over the last 50 years. We know 
what's coming and no one has to feel like they're reinventing the wheel. Um, and yet, there are people who, who are in that case where they're becoming popular and, um, and they don't know exactly what to do next. One of the nice things about the work that we do is that we can share the best practices and what hasn't worked and help them move through that process of planning for a future um, that is better than they could hope for. We have a project um, that's based on this responsible travel, the, the idea of being conscious and mindful about what I'm doing when I'm traveling, still having a good time, but being conscious and mindful about what I'm doing. We call this the Travel Care Code, and the Travel Care Code is a set of 10 simple things that you can do um, when you're a traveler to help contribute to sustainability. And we're working with other universities and with marketing organizations. We're coming together and we're really trying to build a movement of people who are interested in being more responsible travelers. I think it's very important for tourists to remember that they are visitors. And being a visitor, they have to be responsible. We have to always remember that uh, we do not own the resources that we are about to use. They belong to somebody else. I was born in a village and I, I have seen village life and I have, uh, while working in travel, I've seen how uh, tourism has changed the lives in, in some of those rural areas. I think by visiting these community-based tourism um, villages, you know, we can actually provide them with so much more than just kind of visiting a destination that is kind of commercial. Our work is designed to make lives better for the people in destinations, to make lives better for individual travelers who are traveling to destinations and uh, experiencing authentic, uh, real experiences when they travel and so each of the elements of this sustainable tourism and responsible travel project that we're working on um, really speaks to making lives better not only here but around the world. Beer may not be the first thing that comes to mind when you think about farming, but without farming, beer wouldn't exist because the agricultural crop, hops, is one of beer's few critical ingredients. Chris Johnson, the brewmaster for People's Brewing Company near Purdue's West Lafayette campus, and Purdue researchers Natasha Cerruti and assistant horticulture professor Lori Hoagland hope to revive Indiana's long-dormant hops growing industry to meet the increasing demand from the burgeoning microbrewery industry. We have four main ingredients in beer. Water is, makes up the majority of the beer. Or malted grains, hops, and then yeast. Hops are a perennial plant. Um, they grow, they can grow up to 20 feet tall on a trellis. They make cones, which are the flowers, the female flowers, and that is the part that goes into the beard. Hops do a couple of things. One, they uh, help preserve the life of the beer. Uh, it's a natural preservative. They also uh, balance the sweetness from the malt sugars with uh, bitterness uh, from the hop compounds. 
predominantly hops are grown in the Pacific Northwest. They used to be grown in the East and also in the Midwest um, a while ago, but then um, production just moved west and it stayed out there. The production environment in the Pacific Northwest is really ideal for hops. They have very low humidity, so low pathogen pressure, and they've had irrigation from the dam system. So a lot of these specialty crops moved out west because of those environmental conditions. And so with the, the rise in the microbrewers, a lot of the microbrewers are having trouble sourcing hops from the Pacific Northwest because they're all grown under contract. Breweries are getting ever more popular and so certain varieties are hard to get a hold of. People started in 2009. We uh, set out to be a local production brewery. Uh, distributing beer around town to the different bars and restaurants uh, and also around the state of Indiana. Absolutely we want uh, Indiana hops. We'd love to see it grow to, into a sustainable uh, industry both for the growers and uh, for the brewing industry. We'd love to see some varieties developed in Indiana that uh, have unique characteristics that we can use uh, basically as local characteristics in our beer. There's a need for small batches of hops and then there's a lot of interest in just local production systems and you know why ship your product in all the way from the Pacific Northwest when you can grow it here. And so we're really doing the research to try to adapt the production practices from the Pacific Northwest here to Indiana. This summer Purdue built a hop farm at the Meg's Research Farm. We put in a quarter of an acre to test different varieties to see how well they would grow out here. Hops are a very labor-intensive crop and require lots of infrastructure. So they're a perennial crop. Um, you put them in, you have to have a trellis system to support those, which the traditional trellis systems are 18 feet tall. A lot of growers in the area have been using recycled telephone poles. Poles are then set into the ground about four feet. Aircraft cable is wired through the top as a support system and then twine is strung from the top of that and anchored into the ground and the hops grow up that each year. The establishment costs and the labor to get that going are pretty intensive. Your first couple years you're not going to make money off of it. It takes about three years for hops to really reach their yield potential. Well, we're doing a lot of research just to adapt production practices and then on the outreach side we're doing a lot to try to work with the growers, get them together, and then we just do a lot of workshops at our research yard to teach people how to grow hops, where we'll talk just you know basic infrastructure, what you need to get started, what varieties might do best here. There's potential for hops to be profitable in Indiana, but a lot of the growers are taking it slow just because to see what sort of yields and quality they can get since hops haven't been grown in the Midwest in a long time. So for our first season, we decided to put in one acre. Um, coming spring, we're trying to put in another two acres, depending on us being able to get all of the supplies needed to construct that trellis system. Need to give credit to Purdue for the help that they have given. It's been a major learning curve. Nobody does it here in the Midwest, so there's not really anybody to lean on. Purdue's been, bar none, a huge, huge help. It's a difficult crop to grow. It's much more challenging than to grow like an annual crop like corn. So you really need to make sure you have the, the right mix of fertilization and water and varieties that are well suited to our system. Then you've got to 
pick the hops at the right time. You've got to process them in the right way to really preserve the quality. And then even from there into the brewing, that's a whole scientific process to it. There is a lot of science to it, uh, both on the growing side and on the brewing side. We look at alpha acids and beta acids and a lot of different compounds in the hops. Getting a good analysis, which is one of the things we're working with Purdue on is uh, important for knowing how to use them in the brewing process. The future of hops in Indiana looks promising. We're actually, I think, now to 1% of the hop acreage in the United States, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it really shocked the people in the Pacific Northwest. Beer industry is growing a lot in the state. It's exciting to see it uh, developing and be a part of it on the, on the grassroots level. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There, you can route to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave a review. As always, boiler up.